Man, I'm so thankful for our worship team leading us in song this morning. Don't know if you caught that last song. 10,000 Reasons, we sang, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. Do you, do you realize as we were singing that, that you were singing that to yourself to some degree? Oh my soul, like we're talking to ourselves, and that comes from the psalm that we're going to look at together this morning. Psalm 103, you can be turning there. We're going to read this together straight away, and then ask the Lord to bless His Word. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord, May our souls respond as we've sung, Lord. May they respond in truth as a result of your word this morning. Have your way in your people. And Lord, if there are those here this morning or listening today that are not your people, may it be so by the end of the day that they become yours. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So I don't want to get too far into the text without pointing out, again, the repeated phrase here in the first couple of verses, and then at the end, bless the Lord, O my soul. So this this doesn't really come across as a suggestion, does it? Like if you have time, if you feel like it, soul, bless the Lord. That's not what this is. It's not just a recommendation. This is a command. So what is the command? The The command is that we bless the Lord, or that the soul blesses the Lord. Who is David, the author, commanding to do this? Himself. 
So this begs the question then, I think, why did David need to command his own soul to bless the Lord? Why would we need to do that? Why do we need to sing songs like we sang this morning? Well, before we answer that question, I just want to point out that this isn't the first time that a psalmist has said this sort of thing. If you can flip quickly back to Psalm 42 and verse 5, the beginning of that verse, you might be familiar with this text. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? So the author of this psalm is saying something similar. Soul, why are you downcast? Why do you feel this way? There's honesty in a text like this and in the one in Psalm 103 today. There's a vulnerability here that we don't always maybe allow ourselves to feel. But I think we can all relate to what in Psalm 42 especially that he's saying, you know, why do, why do I feel this way? We can be honest about it. He's pouring this out to the Lord, isn't he, in Psalm 42. We can be honest with God about how we're feeling. God, why is my soul, why do I feel this way inside? I'm hurting. I don't understand what's going on. Lord, why is this happening? It, it, it almost seems, God, as if you've forgotten me. Now, we've looked at Psalms, chapters that say that sort of thing. We're not going to go too far into that this morning. But just as pointing out that we can be honest with the Lord about these things. The negative, and then as Psalm 103 reminds us, the positive things too. The end of Psalm 42 verse 5 says, kind of the solution, he's saying, why are you downcast my soul? The end of that verse he says, hope in God. Now who's he talking to still here? He's still talking to himself, to his own soul. He says, hope in God for I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. So there, there's a vulnerability, like there's honesty there. Soul, why are you downcast? And yet, I will still praise him. So there's honesty about pain and difficulty, but there's also like this deep-seated conviction within him that he was reminding himself of, like, I still need to praise, I still need to trust, I still need to hope in the Lord. So, does he cave into despair? No. Does he get tired of restraining himself? Does he throw in the towel and just give up hope? In Psalm 42, no, that's not what happens. In those tender and vulnerable moments, he is preaching something specific to himself. He's saying, hope in God. But why? Well, because he is my salvation and my God. That's how he can respond in faith to difficult moments in life. And it's the same for us. He's reminding himself of timeless truths that kind of seem to get lost in the ups and downs of life, right? And we need to be reminded, as Psalm, the book of Psalms so often does. So thinking back in Psalm 103, the author here, as it says, is David is preaching a specific message to himself. And the message is, bless the Lord, O my soul. So that's what he's commanding himself to say and to do. And so we see this happening throughout the psalm. In Psalm 42, we see and read about trials with some difficulties in the life of the psalmist. And we can all identify, but in Psalm 103, we read about this celebration, this joyous reflection on the goodness of God. So it's on one side of the coin, it's this, why are you downcast, 
O my soul. And on the others, the flip side of the coin that we're looking at this morning is, Bless the Lord, O my soul. So we need to be honest about both things. And today it's, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's, I just want to scan through the first seven verses, and I want to point out the, the reasons that the author gives here for blessing the Lord. So go with, kind of skim with me. We'll go through these quickly. He says that the Lord forgives iniquity. He heals diseases. He redeems your life. He crowns with love and mercy. He satisfies with his goodness. He renews the body and the soul like an eagle. Uh, He works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. And he has revealed himself and his power to Moses and all of Israel. That's just in the first seven verses. These are all, and think about this, all of those things are tangible areas, tangible things, things that they could touch, see, smell, taste, feel of what the Lord has done that motivates praise that comes out of their hearts and out of their souls. And I want to point out again the action words in these in this text. Look at them with me. He forgives, heals, redeems, crowns, satisfies, renews, works, reveals. God has done all this. Why? Has he done all of this? Does he um, do these things because his people are worth worthy of it? That they have worked hard enough to earn God revealing himself in kindness and love and all of those ways? It's because he initiates it. He does the work. Now, why does the author feel it's necessary for him to preach these things to his own soul? I think he tells us in verse 2, the end of verse 2, He says, forget not all his benefits. There it is. There's a temptation that every person, every Christian even, is tempted to do. It's to forget. I don't have to ask for a raise of hands. I know you all forget stuff. seems like the older we get, the more stuff we forget. So it's, it's not wrong for us to say, no, I need to remember this. Some of us write things down on pieces of paper. Some of us write things on mirrors so that you see it every day. Some of you write notes in an app on your phone. Some of you try all three and you still forget things. That would be me. But we're prone to forget. And as we talked about for several weeks, we're prone to wander away from the Lord. So the psalmist is saying, bless the Lord. Don't forget why. Bless the Lord because of everything he's done. Don't forget all of the ways that he has come through and provided. But praise doesn't just flow because we remember what God has done. Verses 8 through 13, I think, say that praise flows also when we remember who God is. There's a very untheological term that I'm going to use this morning. There's a theological sandwich I think that's happening in these verses. Let me point it out. Verses 8 through 13 are kind of the top bun, if you will. Everybody's going to be hungry now that I'm talking about this. Uh, they're the top bun, and they reflect on who God is. Verses 14 through 16 are kind of the middle, the meat of it. They reflect on who we are, briefly. And then the end of this sandwich, the bottom bun, verses 17 through 19, they go back and reflect on who God is for, for a moment. So I want to kind of take those in groups really quickly. And if I'm going to give you my 
personal opinion, which you're kind of stuck with because I'm on the one up here talking, but uh, if I'm going to give that to you, verses 8 through 13 are some of the most precious verses in all the Bible. Now, maybe you've heard it said, and maybe, maybe not, but maybe you've heard it said that the God of the Old Testament is like a different God than what we see in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he's full of wrath and vengeance and uh, violence and punishment. And then the God of the New Testament is a God that's full of love and mercy and peace. Well, if you read Revelation 14, you're going to see that there's some wrath coming from God in the New Testament. And if you're paying attention today, and specifically in these verses 8 through 13, you're going to see the reality of God's patience and kindness and goodness and mercy and grace in the Old Testament. And so I just want to be clear that the God of the Old Testament is the same God that we find in the New Testament. And friends, it's the same God that we have today. He has not changed. Our culture changes. We change. Our God has not changed. And I think we see evidence of that in these verses. And just for emphasis sake, I want to read them again. Verses 8 through 13. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far, sorry, as the Father shows compassion to his children, did I skip verse 12? Okay, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. His Father shows compassion on his children, to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, skim those verses again as, I, as I'm talking and just kind of put yourself in the place of an Israelite standing at the foot of Mount Sinai waiting on Moses to come down from getting the Ten Commandments. So Moses has been gone for a while. We don't really know what's going on up there. We see, we see some evidence that stuff's happening, right? Some rumblings and some smoke and things. Um, but we don't know where Moses is. We're starting to get a little worried and they're starting to get some unrest in our group. Now think about these verses. As a father shows compassion to his children, so does the Lord show compassion to those who fear him. Now think about these verses that we just read with your own historical perspective in mind, thinking back to your own life, to the things that have happened in your own experience. I think of verses 10 through 12, where it says that He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not deal with us or repay us according to our iniquities. What mercy there is here. What kindness of the Lord that I hope as we've reflected on our own lives that we can recognize. God has not dealt with us according to how we deserve. Now notice that the psalmist points out something and directionally as Jason talked with the kids about. He says as far as the east is from the west. Notice that he does not say as far as the north is from the south. I think that there's probably a real specific reason for that. Did you know 
that the distance between north and south is a measurable distance. Does anyone know how far it is from the North Pole to the South Pole? There's a specific distance that they've figured out. Anybody want to guess? Are you serious? Did that a guess? You're like, you're like 75 miles off, Paul. It's pretty good. 12,436.12 miles is what they say is the distance from the north. I can't believe you got that close. Teacher. Uh, so that's the distance from the North Pole to the South Pole. It's crazy because you can only go north that far, right? Once you get to the North Pole and then you keep going, which direction are you headed? You're headed, you're headed south again. Okay, and same thing. When you get to the South Pole and you keep going, you're headed north again. So that is actually a quantifiable distance that we know, north to south. However, if you get an airplane and you start flying west, when do you get to the east? You don't. You could get in an airplane and had you an unlimited supply of fuel. You could fly your entire life and you would never get to the other direction. I think So I think there's some wisdom in what the psalmist is saying here. The North Pole and the South Pole, they, they kind of meet in a sense because once you hit one, you start going to the other. But East and West never meet. There's no matter how far you west you travel, you'll never get to a point where your next step is in the east. You see what see what I'm saying? So God in his wisdom through David here didn't say that your sins are forgiven as far as the north is from the south. He says they're forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Which helps us understand something about the forgiveness of God. It's complete. It's total. It's never ending. There's no little pocket that he's reserving to judge you on on judgment day. It's complete. His forgiveness of sin is total. As far as the east is from the west, if God has forgiven you, you are completely forgiven, friends. That's the power of redeeming love. That is the kind of love that a father has toward his children, that God has toward his children. Why? Because his children are so deserving, those of you with kids know that that's not true. Those of you who have been kids know that's not true. Your parents don't give you love because you've earned it. They give you love because they love you, which is the same way that God loves his children. Verses 14 through 16 are kind of the middle of the theological sandwich, and they remind us of what most of us are trying to forget. You can look at those verses real quickly. Most of us are trying to forget that we have an expiration date, kind of like the the relish. Ours isn't printed on us anywhere. We don't know. God knows, but we all have an expiration date. Every one of us are known by God and cared for by God, but we are not God. We will not last forever in this body. We're frail. And the older that we get, the more that we recognize that. Our bodies, they just wear out, right? The things that we used to be able to do, we just can't do anymore. And if we can, it's not for near as long. It's just how our bodies go. And so the psalmist kind of captures this in these verses. 
He says, our days are like grass or like a flower. I don't mind cutting grass. I don't know if you guys are weird like me, but I don't mind cutting grass. There's some immediate satisfaction that you get from finishing and looking out and seeing it all one level and nice, you know. But it won't be long now, maybe in a month or so, I'm not going to cut grass anymore. That grass is going is to go dormant. Some of it's going to die. The flowers that my wife has worked so hard to plant this spring and summer are dying. That's what happens. They're not made to last forever in that way. And so the psalmist says this sort of thing. We, we grow up quickly. We bloom in the spring and summertime. But then whenever the, you know, that stiff late autumn, early winter breeze comes, they're gone. Our lives are, are kind of like that. Now, I want to be kind of cautious here in talking about our physical bodies that just because they're temporary doesn't mean that we shouldn't take care of them. Right? We need to be responsible for what we put into our bodies what we do with our bodies. When Paul talks with the Corinthians about sexual immorality, he reminds them, in talking about their physical bodies, that they are not their own. He says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Okay, so for that reason, he says, glorify God in and with your bodies. And that's what we need to understand. So we don't glorify our bodies. You know, we don't, that's not all that there is to this life. Okay, but we also shouldn't mistreat our bodies or use them in, in ways, sinful ways either. So getting back to Psalm 103, there's, there's certainly in this middle section, there's certainly a solemnness here, right? This is kind of sobering truth. Like we're trying to forget that we're, we have an expiration date, but the psalmist reminds us that it's, it's coming, it's happening. Your bodies are wearing out. But I don't think this section is supposed to like, make us unhappy or depress us. It's reality, (laughs) to be sure, but it doesn't have to cause sadness or pain just to know that we're only here on this earth for a little while. The author reminds us of our frailty, but he does it in contrastness to the steadfastness of the Lord. So there's a purpose in his explaining our expiration date. It's because God isn't like that. God doesn't have one. Verse 14, he says, He knows our frame. Guys, God knows your physical body. Not only did he knit you together in your mother's womb, but he knows you now. He knows the hairs on your head or lack thereof for some of us. He knows your frailty. He remembers that we are dust. Verse 17 stands in contrast to verse 14. He says, but here's the flip side of this coin. The steadfast love of the Lord from everlasting to everlasting. God's love never ends. We wear out our bodies. They fall apart. But God's love, God himself, no. Never changes. Never comes to an end. Never degrades in the least bit. This is, I think, an intentional comparison to remind us the differences between us and our humanness and God and his holiness. And then in the bottom bun of this theological sandwich is in verses 17 through 19. You can look at those verses. This is the steadfast love of the Lord. It extends as righteousness goes to his children, his children's children. If, if you're a parent, I would say pretty well, I hope at least pretty well across the board, 
one of your hopes and aspirations for your kids is that they're better than you. Right? I think, I hope it's safe to say that we want our kids to surpass us in, in knowledge and in understanding and in godliness and in, um, maybe in wealth or certain things. We want them to be better than us. We want them to learn from our mess ups so that they can be God fearing, God loving, functional, good adults that then teach their children to be even better than them. Right? That's the leg, kind of legacy that we want to leave. We want them to be better than us because we know our own failings. We know how frail and messed up we are, and so we want more for them. Isn't it wonderful that God guarantees this for his children? And God doesn't have the mess-ups that we do. Look at verse 18. Those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Those are the kinds of people... That God guarantees this for. I I love my kids. I I hope I can love them best from the moment that they're born until one of us isn't living anymore. But God's love is so much better than my love because it extends beyond the grave. It extends beyond the times when I get frustrated and I don't feel much like showing love and compassion. God's love always does because He's a perfect Father. So much more complete. It's so much longer lasting than mine. His faithful and steadfast love is not just from birth to death. It is from everlasting, he says, to everlasting. From the beginning to the end. His righteousness, it says, extends to children's children. From one generation to the next generation to the next without fail. And we know that he keeps his promises in verse 19. Because it says that his kingdom is over all and that his throne has been established where? In, in heaven. In the heavens. Now why is it important that the Lord's throne is established, located, fixed in heaven? Well, what's fixed and established in heaven isn't affected by the things of this earth. Right? Because my love, even as a father, is affected by the things of this earth. My own impatience, my own pain and difficulties, my own sin affects how I love my kids. The things of this earth, the frustrations of what's going on in society and everything else, that affects my love for others. God's throne, God's love, God's promises are not affected by the things of this earth because they're not established here. They're established in heaven. Now, I don't mean that God is unaffected by his People. I don't mean that what happens here doesn't uh, affect God at all. No, I, He hears our prayers. He works on our behalf through His Spirit. But what I do mean is that no matter what happens in our nation, God's throne is not weakened. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to remember that. No matter what happens in the coming months, in the coming years, in the coming decades, God's throne is never weakened. And so we have a refuge to run to. We have a kingdom that we're a part of, brothers and sisters in Christ, that can never be shaken by what happens in the Middle East or in Washington or in Pike County. None of it affects God's throne. And we should be grateful for that. 
We are thankful for that. It is immovable. It is solid because it is outside and separated from earthly influence. Praise the Lord. Therefore, his promises always hold true because they're established in heaven itself, unaffected by the things of this earth. Now, there's more to Psalm 103 than just this theological sandwich, so let's continue here. Um, He kind of finishes the chapter, I think, with sort of a logical progression. If you think about what we've talked about so far, he started by telling himself, like commanding himself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Praise God, soul, no matter what, take hope. And it ends by telling all of the universe, this chapter, to remember and to bless and to praise God. So look at those last few verses. The psalmist says, you angels, you mighty ones, you hosts. And then he just kind of sums it all up. He says, everything, everywhere, all his works, in all places of his dominion, what are they supposed to do? Same thing. Bless the Lord. Guys, that includes you. Includes me, to be sure. You've been created by God. You've been created in His image. And you've been created for His glory. And so, when you see that truth for what it is, why you're here, what your purpose is, the best response that you can offer is what Psalm 103 is telling us to do. Bless the Lord. And I want to close this morning by looking again at uh, verses 2 through 5, specifically verse 3. And just saying another word on this, let me read verses 2 through 5 again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives you all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, if we look back over everything in this chapter, all of the things that this psalm has to say about God in relation to his people, it is breathtaking. It's hard to believe in some sense. I'm thinking of Israel standing below Mount Sinai right before They build this golden calf. And I'm thinking of my own life in rebellion to the Lord. And looking at these verses is breathtaking. Let me just kind of go through some of the things that God has done. Again, I I know I've done this a couple of times, but it bears repeating. There's forgiveness here. There's healing, redemption, justice, patience, mercy, love, compassion, understanding. The psalmist tells us why God does this. Because He's God and these things are intrinsic to His nature. They're part of His character. God is patient. God is kind. God is forgiving. He does these things because He's God, but the psalmist doesn't really explain how the Lord does all these things necessarily. How He brings His justice to fruition, his redemption to fruition. And so Isaiah heard from God in a way that few others have, and what he experienced helps us here. So turn over in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 53. Just a few books 
to the right, Isaiah 53. This whole chapter speaks to this, but I just want to look at verse 5. Remember, the psalmist has told us why God does these things, why He is patient and His mercy extends generation to generation, but He hasn't told us how. Isaiah 53 verse 5 helps us. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes we are healed. Some of us may have not known But I think most of us may have forgotten this truth. God only forgives sin by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's how he forgives. It's because of the cross. It's because of Christ. Verse 2 in Psalm 103 says, forget not all his benefits. Well, what are the benefits? Verse 3 through 5, he forgives all his, all of your iniquity. That's a benefit. He heals, He redeems, He crowns. And I love how He ends that. He satisfies. How does He forgive? How does He heal? How does He redeem and crown and satisfy? In Christ alone. That's how this has all come to fruition. That's how God has made it happen. That's how He has expressed His character to you and me and to the world. Because He was wounded for our trespasses, because He was crushed for our sin, because He absorbed the wrath that we deserve, that's how He forgives. That's how He cleanses and redeems and heals and crowns. And that's how He satisfies. He satisfies you in Christ alone. Not in materialistic things. Not in New Age ideas and thoughts of what God, well, maybe God might be this way. He satisfies in Christ alone. This is how we personally and plainly see the reality of verses 8 through 14. We see it played out in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. God has not dealt with you according to your sins. Are you grateful for that? Our world thinks that they want justice. But they don't have the justice of God in mind when they cry out for it. Because if we got what we deserved, there's a Christian rapper that says we'd be in hell tonight. If that, if we cry out for justice, that's what we deserve. And so Psalm 103 helps us put things in the right perspective. He does not repay us according to what we deserve, according to our transgressions. In fact, he is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. And what is the clearest picture of this? In Christ. On the cross, God has put the sin of all who believe on His Son on the cross. And He's shown compassion. Just as a father has compassion on the children with whom He loves dearly. So this is who God is. How do, we, how do we respond to this? How are we supposed to respond? I think we could say that we respond in belief, faith, brokenness, repentance, transformation, love. This is how we respond. I think the psalmist here 
And the theme of this morning and the title of our sermon says it very clearly. And he even continues this kind of thing in Psalm 104. But he says, he begins and ends with the same phrase. And you can look at it with me even though you know it now. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. That's how we are to respond to a God like we have. A God who is abounding in steadfast love. Who does not deal with us to what our sins deserve. He's given a sacrifice once and for all in His Son, Jesus Christ. And all who put their faith in Him are never put to shame, but are accepted and brought into His family and treated so much better than we deserve. And as a result, His children, we don't try real hard to keep His favor and earn everything back and pay it off. We'll never pay it off. All we do, we say this, like the psalmist, bless the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, those who are yours today, God, may we see and be reminded of your goodness and your patience. You do not deal with us according to how we deserve. Lord, but instead, your righteousness extends to children's children, your steadfast love to generations. Time and time again, we're reminded of your goodness to us. And it's not that we're deserving, Lord, it's just because you're good and because you choose to set your affection on your people. And so, Lord... There are some inevitably who've never professed faith in Christ. And Lord, um, as we sing this final song and reflect on everything that you've said today through your word, Lord, I pray that the Spirit would do his work, the work that only he can do. There's nothing I can add to it. There's nothing we can do to make it more effective, Lord. I pray that your Spirit has his way in our hearts maybe the heart of an unbeliever this morning, that they would recognize their own sin, that if they truly got what they deserved, Lord, it wouldn't be anything good or righteous. Lord, it would be condemnation. That's what we deserve. Every sin is deserving of that. And so, Lord, may they be motivated to respond in faith because of your grace, Lord, and that they might be saved. Lord, we're so thankful for Psalm 103, what it's reminded us of this morning, what it's reminded me of this morning. Lord God, help us to remember these things and to to preach this specific message to our souls. Bless the Lord. In Christ's name, amen.